This is the Legal Impact, the weekly show presented by the University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law. Now accepting applications for JD and graduate programs, learn more and apply at law.unh.edu. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire and UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. Joined today by Professor Buzz Schur, Director of the International Criminal Law and Justice Programs. You can learn more about that at law.unh.edu slash ICLJ. Welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here again. All right, we're going to be talking about two cases that have been uh, catching many, many headlines the last few months, actually, be more... But we're referring to more of the last few weeks with the, the actual cases that are in trial. Uh, the Ahmed Arbery case, uh, or the murder of Ahmed Arbery, as well as the Kyle Rittenhouse trial uh, that right as we're recording this at uh, late afternoon on Wednesday, November 17th, the jury is in deliberation right now. Um, but we're going to start with the Ahmed Arbery case. Um, he, he was murdered in 2020, and uh, Gregory McMichael, his son Travis McMichael, and their neighbor William Roddy Bryan Jr. are all accused of, uh, of doing it to him. Uh, why don't you dive into it a bit? If, if you watch the, shockingly, there's a video in this case, um, which is uh, representative of how, I don't know if clueless is the right word or how thoughtless or how morally corrupt these uh, the defendants were. But uh, they, Ahmed Arbery was jogging in a residential neighborhood and he was a black man. These three individuals came across him and they started harassing him and accusing him of being a burglar of some sort. One of them ended up shooting him. They pursued him and shot him. Um, And so they're charged with murder. Originally in the case, the prosecutor in that jurisdiction brought no charges against them. And there was such an uproar because the victim's family or friends, I forgot which, had gotten a hold of the video uh, of this. And they said, you got to be kidding me. And they made a big public stink about it. And then uh, the prosecutor was kicked off the case. And eventually a prosecutor, an independent prosecutor came in and uh, they ended up being charged. But much of the much of the to do about this case, putting aside the outrageous circumstances of what they did, but much of the to do about this case has been that one prosecutor just didn't see fit to bring any charges. Yeah, and there's been accusations of it being a bit of a good old boy's attitude going on because uh, Gregory McMichael was in law enforcement previously. Right, and, and, and knew the prosecutor. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's it, it very much feels like a, a, a good old boy system uh, that was revealed, which, you know, uh, certainly in the last century, particularly in the South, but also in the North when it related to people of color. Uh, it didn't, it happened, it didn't happen infrequently. You know, it happened pretty often that, you know, cases would, the death of uh, black men and women or Hispanic men and women would uh, kind of disappear and nobody would ever get charged be, you know, because of the good old boy network. Um, you know, we, we all want to believe, well, it's not that way anymore. And and the Aubrey case was really a slap in the face to all of this. Uh, if you watch the video, it's really chilling. I mean, their claim is that they thought he was a burglar. 
there was allegedly there was footage inside of a construction site of a house that was being constructed and uh, allegedly they believed uh, arbery was the man that was re repeatedly entering this property looking around and such but um i don't believe they confirmed for sure that it's actually arbery and there also was no actual thefts going on it was uh and most importantly, that's not a reason to shoot somebody. Yeah. Well, it's not a reason for even a citizen's arrest. I mean, I just want to dive in to just quickly say this. CNN did a great job summarizing, uh, quote, the three men are charged with malice and felony murder and have pleaded not guilty. They also face charges of aggravated assault, false imprisonment, and criminal attempt to commit a felony. Uh, the McMichaels claim they're conducting a citizen's arrest that Travis McMichael acted in self-defense at the time of Arbery's death. Brian maintains he's innocent of any wrongdoing, end quote. Totally just outside of the bounds of what should have happened. Yeah, you and you look at the video. It's not like Arbery was was coming at them. I mean, there's just they were chasing him with a truck. They were chasing him with a truck. There's no evidence whatsoever that he was uh, he was uh, armed in any way. But the concern continues to be by the fact they got uh, a, a, an independent prosecutor on the case. The concern continues to be in that case that it's in a rural southern, a rural Georgia county and that that they don't convict uh, white people of killing black people as long as they have the, the thinnest of defenses. Uh, that is the social cultural concern about this. And it's a, a little bit of a, it will be certainly culturally and publicly viewed as a bellwether as to how far the South has come, perhaps unfairly as a bellwether in that regard. But, um, you know, if if they are acquitted, it uh, I mean, it's pretty outrageous. What does malice mean in this situation? I was really shocked to see repeatedly that they're charged with malice and felony murder. Is malice and felony murder like the, the, the charge or are they two separate things? No, malice is a state of mind uh, and it means that you had to have intended the outcome of what you engaged in. It's another uh, it's another way to talk about a state of mind. There's four states of mind plus one in criminal law. Uh, you can act negligently uh, where you should have known that your conduct would have would have resulted in this outcome and you engaged in the conduct even though you should have known it would have likely caused a death, negligent homicide. That's like driving a car too fast and run, running somebody over because you're driving too fast. Then there's recklessly. Recklessly causing the death of another is you don't intend to cause somebody's death, but you were aware of a substantial risk by engaging in your conduct that you would cause somebody's, you might cause somebody's death. That's acting recklessly, acting per then acting knowingly. You know by your conduct that you will cause somebody's death. You don't intend to cause their death, but you know that if you drive a car up on a sidewalk filled with, filled with people uh, at 50 miles an hour, you know you're going to cause somebody's death, right? Yeah. Um, and then there's purposely. You Let's say you have in, wronged me in some way. And I come up to the second floor of two, uh, 10 White Street intending to kill you um, and I shoot you. You know, that's acting purposely. Sometimes that is 
often overlaps with what is known as malice aforethought. You thought ahead of time about killing a person. In some jurisdictions, like New Hampshire, to be guilty of purposely causing the death of another, you have to have contemplated killing somebody ahead of time and gone ahead and killed that person. Uh, if it's just on the spur of the moment, you're just acting perhaps knowingly or rest recklessly. Um, so malice describes a much more purposeful conduct uh, than it does than does knowingly or recklessly. Felony murder is you engaged uh, a murder resulted from you committing a felony. It, it, that's very important to know. It, it's like this is. It, th I'm shocked by the lack of coverage this case has gotten since it went to trial because this is such As a blatant. Um, it, 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 I, it, I'm, want, I'm very curious if um, it was specifically scheduled around the same time as the Rittenhouse trial, which they knew was going to get so much coverage. Yeah, uh, you're more cynical than I am. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of worry in the county in which the Arbery trial is occurring that uh, about what's going to happen as a result of the verdict, depending on what the verdict is. Uh, you know, I think there'll be a not insignificant amount of outrage and protests, at the least, if if the three defendants are uh, are acquitted. The trial continues. There's only one uh, person of color on the jury in that case. Interestingly, there's also only one person of color in the Kyle Rittenhouse case. Yeah, uh, so transition to that. I mean, this has been a, uh, as a media junkie, this has just been a mess of memes and craziness, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Uh, he's been accused of killing Joseph Rosenbaum and Anthony Huber and the injuring of Jace Grosskrauts. Um, I'll let you do the description of the case. Yeah, so the, the, the protests are, uh, were ongoing in Kenosha uh, over the shooting of, I forgot his first name, Jacob Mr. Blake. Blake. Jacob Blake, right. Uh, there was some property destruction. Kyle Rittenhouse, a 17-year-old, took it upon himself to take out the AR, an AR-15, which he had. He lived in Illinois, drive from Illinois to Kenosha. Not a long drive, but it's certainly not exactly right across the border. And he uh, he's going there, he says to help defend property and help the police. It's nighttime, he gets there, and there's just a swirl of chaotic events unfolding. Um, he's walking around as a, uh, a, a layperson with an AR-15. A police officer stops him and gives him a drink of water, you know, because he's thirsty, um, and then moves on. And then, then the things get a little more confusing. There are interactions between each of uh, the three people who were shot, two killed and the other injured, that are variously described as assaults on the part of those, each of those three people or not. And uh, Rittenhouse ends up shooting at all three of them. It's a little unclear because what I've been listening to, the chances I've been had to listen to it, it's a little unclear to me how separated in time those three shootings were 
and how immediately sequential they were. It seems um, like they were pretty sequential. I believe they happened in pretty short order. Like they initially, yeah. there was an attack of allegedly there was an attack. Rosenbaum attacked Rittenhouse, ended up uh, shooting him. Uh, Anthony Huber uh, shortly thereafter started hitting him with a skateboard, and Rittenhouse shot him at, to stop to the beating that was occurring at the time. And then Gage Grosskraus, uh then pre, like I think it was almost immediately after uh, drew a handgun and uh, proceeded to follow Rittenhouse. And then that shooting occurred. So this is a more complicated factual case. Yeah. You know, in terms of uh, what the jury decides actually happened. And the issue Rittenhouse has raised a self-defense claim and he doesn't have to prove he acted in self-defense. The prosecution has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he did not act in defense, self-defense, which is a huge, a huge issue. You know, there's testimony. Again, the testimony is is very messy, but that's going to be hard for the prosecution. But it's a it's you know from as an ex criminal defense lawyer. It's a tribal case from the defense perspective. It's a very tribal case from the defense perspective. Now, some of the what's been going on in the trial is really troubling. It's it's pretty clear to virtually everybody who's watching the trial that the judge is is leaning over backwards to make sure that Rittenhouse gets acquitted. He's been cutting off the prosecutor sometimes. The prosecutor well, has also said some pretty outrageous things through the course true, of this but, trial. Uh, <laughs> but the defense is not, you know, the, the judge has been cutting off the prosecutor, even though the defense hasn't objected. The prosecutor has not himself done a very good job. He's been very sloppy in some of what he's done. So it's not been a good prosecution. But the, the, the thing that's really troubling is the apparent lack of impartiality on the part of a judge. You know, there was a symbolic moment at the very end of the trial before it went to the jury uh, that happens in every trial. Every trial, jury trial, when a jury is picked, they never pick just 12 jurors. They pick 14 or 16, depending on how long the trial is going to be. In case somebody gets sick, then all you know, the alternates have listened and they can, they, can, they can take the sick person's place or... Um, if a jury gets excused for another reason, they've got alternates. So, and at the end of the trial, what the judge always does is, or what the clerk always does is he picks randomly four names out of a box that they twirl around and they pick, the clerk picks randomly four names out of the box as the, who are going to be, they don't tell the people ahead of time, who's the alternate, uh, who the alternates are going to be. And they sequester the alternates while the jury is deliberating. So in case there's a problem during deliberations, they have an alternate. The judge had Kyle Rittenhouse pick the names out of the box. Uh. Now, there's no chance that he is gonna, you know, that something wrong is gonna happen, that he's gonna gains an advantage by that. But the symbolism of yeah. that Shows to the jury is just outrageous. And, uh, it, you know, and, and that's consistent with a number of the rulings the judge has made. He has been no help. God knows the prosecution needed it, but he has been no help whatsoever uh, whenever the prosecution has made an argument. So it's a mess of a trial. And whatever, you know, if there's an acquittal, if there's a conviction, 
uh, there's probably going to be very decent issues on appeal, if only the behavior of the judge is, if they, even if that's the only appeal, just his behavior and the impression it creates to, for the jury that the judge wants them to reach a certain outcome. You know, that's that's the risk of a judge being the way this judge has been. It's not so much that he's making necessarily incorrect rulings, although I think some of the technical evidence rulings he's made have been incorrect, but putting that aside, by demonstrably creating in a number of different ways the impression that he's against the prosecution and he's for Kyle Rittenhouse, jurors completely and utterly depend on the judge. They, The judge is the source of the law they need yeah. to apply to the facts. The judge is the is their god. Is, yeah. you know, he's the goalkeeper with regards the to these two sides. Going he's you know, and and any glimmer of unfair uh, of being partial to one side or another is uh, really, really powerful in the eyes of the jury. So, a famous last words, but I would be surprised if Rittenhouse is convicted. Yeah. Given just given that, put aside everything else, and, and putting aside the fact that it actually is a triable case, however annoying it is that it seems unfair at a moral level that some 17-year-old kid who owns his own AR-15 he doesn't can go there to cause to to defend buildings. Yeah, well, it, well I, I will. I will say. I'm sorry. I'm gonna just step in a little bit there because a, it wasn't his gun. It was borrowed, which there were issues with, and so the guy that gave him the which gun is might even still worse. be in trouble. Right. But, and also, his father and sister, I believe, his sister, one of his siblings, lives in Kenosha, so he's a frequenter of uh, the city. Uh, true, I, and I and I didn't mean to suggest otherwise. I, I'd forgotten the piece about the borrowed gun, mm-hmm. but in many ways, that's even worse. Borrowing an AR-15, so he can go and defend property, not as a police officer, but just as a 17-year-old teenager. That's his job. Yeah, it seems a little outrageous at a moral level that he gets to raise the self-defense issue uh, in that context. I know uh, on Twitter and on other social media, that has angered a lot of people that it seems only fair that, hey, you asked for it, you got it kind of rule you know what we used to call in the criminal to criminal defense the uh, the toyota principle you ask for it you get it you want to go in there and fight with your gun you know you, you can't turn around and say oh i was scared which is you know he he did his what unfortunately uh, i i'm revealing my bias but he did <laughs> his fake crying routine on the witness stand um oh, buzz there was actually no tears came out of his eyes. It was just yeah, they're saying he's a PTSD from the fact he shot three guys after they chased him up the street. But yeah, we're running just, out of time here. So is it the same PTSD he was suffering from when he was in the bar saying uh, <laughs> he was in the bar trumpeting that he was free on bail? Must be it must be that same PTSD. Anyway, you know, <laughs> this is a case that provokes these kind of discussions. Yeah. It, oh, yeah. It, and, and what's the media isn't really talking about too much is one, it's a very 
whatever, however one comes down as a as a, a, a former trial lawyer and former public defender, it's a very triable case from uh, the Rittenhouse uh, perspective. Uh, and, the, you know, the prosecutor's done a crappy job and there's a lousy judge. This will be probably a future podcast to continue this after the no after doubt. this comes down. Thank you so much for joining me, uh, Buzz. Professor Buzz Schur, uh, Director of the International Criminal Law and Justice Programs. Thanks for listening to The Legal Impact presented by UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. To help for word about the show, please be sure to subscribe and comment on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Be sure to check out law.unh.edu slash podcast to get the back episodes of the show.